We are going to start a new series this afternoon, um, and it's going to be called City on a Hill. If you remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he looks at his disciples, and he's like, you guys know what you're going to be like. You are the light of the world, and you're going to be like a city set on a hill which cannot be hidden. And that image of the church has um, captivated me. What, I mean, what does that mean? I mean, can you imagine like a bright city up on a mountain that's shining light on all those around it? What would a city on a hill look like in New York City? What would a city on a hill look like in Brooklyn? What would a city on a hill look like in Bay Ridge? How do we begin to apply the truths of Jesus and walk with him here in this context at this time. So over the next couple weeks, we are going to look at what that could look like here. And we're going to do so by looking at Acts chapter 2. So Jesus tells his disciples, you're going to be a city on the hill. In Acts chapter 2, we actually see the very first Christians gathering in churches. And we see what their city on a hill looked like. In the first mark of this community that I want to talk to you about today is that the early Christians gathered in the church were marked by generosity. Typically, I am not excited <laughs> to talk about generosity. And that's just the honest truth. But this year, God has been doing a work in my own heart as a pastor. And it started several months ago. I was eating dinner with my, my family. I have four kids. And we were having this conversation about what they wanted to be when they grew up. Uh, my littlest one, who's four, Charlotte, um, she still wants to be a firefighter. So we say, great, you, you go be a firefighter. The older, we have, um, so she has three older brothers. All of them began kind of asking questions like, um, so what about this profession? How much money do they make? What about this job? How much money do they make? And they began like, hey, I'm going to uh, plan my career according to who makes the most money. And I began thinking, like that began a process for me of like wondering, okay, my kids one day are going to be grown. They're going to be out of the house with real jobs, making real money, with real financial needs, real rent to pay, real families to um, support. What would I teach them about finances? What would I teach them about generosity? What would I teach them about giving? There's no one on the planet I would want to thrive and flourish more than my own kids. There's nobody I want good for more than them. So how would I teach them about generosity? And I began to think about it. For weeks and weeks, I thought about it. What advice would I give them? And I came to the conclusion that I would want them to be radically generous people. I would want them to be radically generous followers of Jesus. I would encourage them from their very first paycheck, start giving away 10% of your income. I would want them to have a healthy view of money, to work hard and earn it, yes, but not to be enslaved by it. And, I, and in the midst of all of these thoughts, um, that I was thinking, the Holy Spirit convicted me and essentially said, Logan, your pastor, why won't you say that to your church? Mm. Is it that you want something good for your kids that you love? 
is that different than something that you would want for the church that you love? And my mind began racing with excuses. Well, um, God, um, NYC is a really expensive place to live. People's budgets are tight. And God, this is a very socioeconomically diverse church. And I know there are people who are struggling. And God, we have a lot of people who are here exploring the faith, trying to figure out what they believe. And all this talk about generosity and money, that deters them. And God, by the way, if I'm just being honest with you, I want them to like me. And I don't want to be perceived as that pastor that's always talking about money and, you know, that this pastor that just wants people's money. And through that time of prayer, God has made, had made his point very clear to me. It was his gentle word of correction and encouragement. Generosity is not a scary topic to avoid. It is a good gift that God wants for his people. It is a vital part of our discipleship to Jesus. Yes, it is hard. Yes, it is countercultural, but it's part of the flourishing that God wants for you and he wants for me, that he wants for this church, for the good of this community. Generosity has marked God's people from the very beginning. So if we go to Acts chapter 2, I want to see this. Acts 2, starting in verse, verse 42. <clears throat> and they, the Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temples together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This line that Luke uses that the early church had glad and generous hearts. Generous people. So from this passage, here's what I want to do. I want to draw out some principles about generosity, and then I want to talk about how we can put that into practice, okay? So first, first, some principles. Generosity is birth from gratitude, not guilt. Generosity is birth from gratitude, not guilt. If we understand the context of this passage, we'll see that the Holy Spirit had just been poured out on the church. They had just received God's magnanimous grace and love and kindness. They had been filled up to the brim. Many of them had just trusted in Jesus for the first time and received new life and forgiveness and love and grace. I mean, they were filled up. So when they gathered together, we shouldn't be surprised that they began to pour out. They had grateful hearts, and those grateful hearts produced generosity. You see... Giving is always birthed from, from gratitude, and honestly, generosity is never, um, well, I shouldn't say never, you, you, generosity will give you short-term, excuse me, what am I talking about? <laughs> um, guilt will give you, can make you, <laughs> guilt will make you generous in the short-term, 
right? You could watch a TV show commercial and they're going to show a dog in a cage and place Sarah McLaughlin. And maybe for a moment your heart is pricked to give. But then the game comes back on and you're good to go. But what God wants to do is a deeper work in our hearts. Not where it's an emotionally driven or guilt driven generosity, but a long-term heart change that produces generosity. You see, it wouldn't make it made much sense if God would have poured out his kindness on his people, poured out these gifts and these blessings, and for them to gather together and then be stingy. No, like our gathering should reflect the God that we worship. Generosity is birthed from gratitude. Second, generosity is always paired with joy. Did you notice how Luke describes them? Glad and generous. There was a sense of wonder and joy and delight that was paired with practical generosity. Glad and generous. This so succinctly describes what the Bible has to say about generosity. There is blessing in giving. Not just doing good for others, but giving actually is good for us. The principle in the scripture is that generosity is not just something God wants from us. Generosity is something God wants for us. Which is why when I think about my kids, I think, I want you to be generous. Why? The church needs your money? No. No, they probably do. But I want them to be generous for the sake of their own hearts, for their own joy, for their own contentment, for their own satisfaction. Generosity is a good gift that God has for them, not something that he wants from them. And I think so often we get it twisted. Oh, God just wants my money. The pastor or the church, man, he just wants my money. But what if we like flip the paradigm? Our giving is not for primarily the good of someone else, though it is, it's primarily for the good of our own hearts. You see, the scriptures speak so often about money because it has tremendous power over our hearts. I mean, Jesus talks about money over and over and over again. 40% of his parables are about money. He speaks about money more than he does heaven and hell combined. You're like, Jesus, why did you talk about money? Did you have like a building campaign or something? No, he just knew the power that money has over our hearts. You see, we typically look to money uh, for the source of either one, or t- one of two things. It can become the source of either our security or our significance. So some of you, if we can show the picture, some of you are spenders. You're like the great Gatsby. For you, money represents significance. It is happiness It is fun, it is status, it is beauty. You're like, I could save for the future, or I could buy a new pair of shoes. You know, I could put this away, or I could go on that vacation. I could go to brunch again. I could do the takeout. I could go to the concert. I could go to Broadway. There's a lot of great things I could do with my money. Some of you are spenders. You are tempted to look at money as a source of significance. Others of you are more like Scrooge. You are savers. For you... Money is a source of security. It is safety. It is comfort. It is reassurance. It's like, hey, you know, this whole thing could go really badly. I'm going to need this thing that I put away. I'm going to need that security, that comfort, that safety. 
And in God's good humor, by the way, um, the spender and the saver typically marry each other. So budget discussions are home are often very fun. But you see, that's why this is such an important issue for our discipleship. Jesus wants to be the source of our security, and Jesus wants to be the source of our significance. And money has this ability to replace Jesus as that in our hearts. God wants us to love him first. And when we begin to replace money in our hearts with the love of Jesus, all of a sudden we're free. We're free to be generous people. Um, in the past couple of weeks, I've been studying on this topic, and I was reminded of the parable of the sower. Do you guys remember this parable? Um, Jesus said, hey, there's like four types of hearts. And what happens is the sower, which is uh, me, I sow the word of God, and the word of God lands on different hearts in different ways. The first type of heart, uh, basically the word of God um, lands, and then the enemy snatches it away. Then he says there's a second type of heart that actually grows, the, the seed lands, and the plant grows up really quickly, but then the, the plant has no roots, so that when, when trials come, it, the plant withers away. But then Jesus says there's a third type of heart, and the word of God falls on that heart, and everything is looking really good. Like the roots are going in, the plant is growing up, everything is looking healthy, but actually, next to the plant, there is a thorn bush. And the thorn bush is growing up right alongside the plant. And what happens is over time, the thorns slowly begin to choke out the life of the plant. And the fourth type of heart, of course, is the heart where the seed falls and uh, it bears much fruit. But what came to my mind was that these are not generic thorns. Jesus actually names the thorns. You know what he says? These thorns are, quote, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. And I thought, huh, the deceitfulness of money chokes out the gospel in our hearts? Like, how could that be? And Jesus' message is sobering. You see, the, the issue for many of us especially those of us who have followed Jesus for many years, like the issue for us is not that we're gonna kind of fall off the ledge and be like, I'm done with Jesus. I deconstructed, you know, I'm gone. That typically is not the issue. Jesus says the issue will be that over time, very, very slowly, without us even realizing it, our money and our possessions will slowly begin to choke out the life of Jesus in, in us. Choke out our joy. Choke out our peace. Cho uh, choke out our satisfaction in God. You see, Jesus is not concerned about you owning money or possessions or even lots of them. He's concerned about money owning you. That's why he talked about it so much. Third principle. Generosity requires sacrifice. If you look back with me at verse 44, here's some verses that will make us feel very uncomfortable. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And we read that, we're like, ooh, I don't know if I like that very much. Are you telling me that I need to sell all of my stuff and give it all away for the glory of God and Jesus and the church and the mission and people in need? Not necessarily. 
I don't think that's what God calls everyone to do. In fact, the text tells us that some people had to own homes because they were meeting in homes. But it's clear that God gives excess to some so that they can share with others who have less. It's clear that generosity requires sacrifice. In order to say yes to generosity, we're going to have to say no to other good things. You see, as Christians, our lifestyle will often look different because we have chosen to live generously. Our lifestyle might look different from a peer who works alongside us in the same company, makes the same amount of money. Our lifestyle is going to be different. Why? Because we've chosen to prioritize God and giving and generosity. Or say, no, no, no. I'm going to say no to some things that I could have because I want to say yes to other things that I love. That's what sacrifice is. Sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love even more. You have to feel it. You see, uh, you talk about me being a spender or a saver or whatever. Those are fine. Those are not bad things. Like saving is a good thing. Spending and using your money for things you enjoy is a good thing. But at the end of the day, as followers of Jesus, we have to set some priorities to say, what is most important? What do I love the most? Okay. And you're saying, great. <laughs> you know, I, I feel sufficiently guilty. Can we move on, please? But you see, the principles of generosity have to lead to a practice of generosity. Generosity, like any other spiritual discipline, takes planning. Like if you're going to uh, go out to read your Bible, you're like, yeah, that's great. It's a great spiritual discipline, but it's really helpful if you have a plan. What am I going to read? When am I going to read? What chapters am I going to read? The same is true with prayer. Prayer is wonderful, but having a plan helps you pray. When am I going to pray? How am I going to pray? Where am I going to pray? And when we look at generosity, I think a lot of us have really good intentions. I, I, my guess is you guys have generous hearts because you have Jesus living inside you. The problem is <clears throat> we haven't taken the steps to actually um, put tangible action behind our good intentions. And when we don't make a plan, this area often gets, this area of our discipleship often gets pushed to the side. And we think, well, I'll be generous one day when I have more cash flow. I'll be generous when I get the promotion. I'll be generous when I get the next job. I'll be generous when I move to the cheaper apartment. I'll be generous when my kids get through college. I'll be generous one day. Or we think, you know, I'll be generous when I feel really emotionally stirred or when I feel really guilty. But when we look at the scripture, there is a better way. There's a better way. So what are the practices of giving that we see in, G in the scriptures that can help us? First, we see priority giving. Priority giving. We put God first in all areas of our lives, including our finances. We just sang about it. You deserve it all. You deserve it all. Except for my money, of course. I mean, right? No, we want to put God first in everything including our finances. 
In the Old Testament, we learn about the concept of first fruits giving. God's people gave him their first and their best, the first of their crops or their herds. They didn't give God the leftovers. The Apostle Paul takes this principle and he applies it to the New Testament church. First Corinthians, he says, on the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside, store it up as he may prosper. You see, Paul's issue here is priority. Hey, at the beginning of the week, let's set something aside, not at the end of the week when we don't have anything left. And let's be honest, this is probably a big source of our problem when it comes to generosity. We give God the leftovers. After we've paid for the brunch on the weekend, after we've done Netflix, HBO, Disney Plus, and Apple TV, the gym membership, the takeout, the vacation, the apartment, the kids' activities, the takeout again, and the concert. And we think, okay, God, here is what I have left over. At least it's something. And hear me, nothing wrong with any of that. But is God first? Are we giving him our best? Again, not trying to make you feel guilty. Being guilty does not make you generous. But I want to help us align our good intentions with a tangible plan. Generosity must be a priority or our good intentions will often go unrealized. And hear me, when we begin to prioritize God in our giving, what happens is we're actually freed up to enjoy the rest of our money, right? You don't have to feel guilty about, you know, enjoying a night out with your wife or a concert or Broadway or HBO or Apple TV or whatever it is you enjoy. Why? Because I put God first already. I set aside what's for God at the first of the week. So now I'm, a- I'm able to spend my other money wisely. So first, we see priority giving. Second, we see percentage giving. We set a percent of our income aside to give. And if, this is very interesting. Hang with me for a moment. I know this is a tough topic. Hang with me. When we, uh, studies have shown that the more money people make, the less money they actually give away. You see, they trick themselves into believing that they're giving more because the numbers on the check actually went up, but the percentage actually has gone way down. So as the pie of our income grows larger and larger, the slice of generosity grows smaller and smaller. That's typical, right? Okay, my income's growing up, so I'm giving more, but the percentage goes down and down. When we look at the scriptures, we see that giving is often tied to a percentage, which helps us avoid that error, right? So when our income goes up, we have a percentage. When our income goes down, we have a percentage. The clearest example of this in the Bible is the tithe, which simply means 10%. It's part of what God called his people to give in the Old Testament. This was the money that went to the institution of the temple and to its ministries, And you say, okay, wait a minute, time out. (laughs) Tithe, that's Old Testament law stuff, right? I'm living in the freedom of Jesus, bro. Like, you know, I'm living in grace. And yes, of course. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, did Jesus raise the bar of generosity or did he lower it? In the New Testament, the principle we see is that we are to give in accordance to what Jesus gave to us. It's grace giving. And you're like, well, that's not fair either. (laughs) I mean, Jesus gave it all. 
Jesus gave extravagantly. Jesus gave sacrificially. And so the question we ask, like, do I have to give that? Or do I have to give this or that or this percentage or that percentage? I think the answer is no, you don't have to. Jesus would say, well, has the grace of God changed your heart? Like, give in accordance to what I've given to you. And you're like, oh, 10%, the tithe. Like, I, like no way, man. Like, not a chance. And I, I get that. I really do get that. You say, like, what do I do? Like, there's no way I could give like that. A couple of just, like, very practical helps. Maybe try it. Try it for four months. See if God provides for your needs or not. Giving is one of the only areas of scripture where God says, test me in this. Actually, we read it earlier in the service. He says, test me, try me. See if I don't provide for all of your needs. It's an audacious verse, Malachi 3.10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. There may be food in my house. Thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. That's a staggering verse. Test me, God says. And you're like, well, okay, still, I can't. I I just can't be that generous. I can't do it. And maybe that's you. Here's what I would say. Start somewhere. Choose a percentage and work up from there. And I'm well aware we live in the most expensive city in the country. I know your rent is high. I know your cost of living is high. I know that some of you are in difficult financial situations. And listen, I, I don't benefit from you giving at all, to be honest. I don't. It's kind of weird giving this message to a church that's not mine, honestly. I feel way more free. Because I, typically I stand up in front of my church and there's, I, I can read it in the room. Oh, okay. All right. Like, you want me to give, and somehow you're going to benefit from me giving, right? And I get, there's like a, a weird thing that happened, and it's happening now, but I don't benefit at all from this. It's, an, it's not about the budget. It's really not. It's not about the bottom line at Crossroads Community Church. It's about our hearts loving Jesus first. It's about discipleship. It's about worship. Where was I? Okay, yeah. We're like, hey, um, I, I really can't. Start somewhere, work up from there. There's a myth that we tell ourselves. I'll start giving generously when I have more. Right, later. Like, I really want to. I'll do it later when I get the new job, the better job, the higher paying job. When the kids are done with school, then I'll start giving. The truth is that it actually never gets easier it only gets harder, right? It's never, it's never easier to give than it is right at this very moment. Your needs are only going to increase. The best time to start giving is now. Start somewhere, choose a percentage, work up from there. Finally, we've talked about priority giving first. We talked about percentage giving. Now let's talk about progressive giving, and then I'm gonna land this plan. You say, thank the Lord. Uh, progressive giving. Like every area of our discipleship, we want to grow. 
We, want, we don't want to be stagnant. We don't want to go into autopilot. As God continues to bless you, try to grow the percentage of your giving. If you are not giving, start giving. If you are giving sporadically, start giving regularly. If you're giving sparingly, start giving with a percentage. Start, like, feel it. Make a sacrifice. Give something up in order to be generous for the good of God's kingdom. As a community, what would it look like for you to together say, we own this mission? Like, it's not just like 20 of us who are, are in. No, we're all in. And yeah, it doesn't matter how much you make, whether you make a lot of money or a little money. That's not the issue at all. It's about our hearts of generosity, And I know, I just want to maybe talk to some of you in the room who are visiting, and you're like, oh, no, I showed up on money week. <laughs> this is terrible. You know, I knew it. These people just want my money. They want to manipulate me so that I, I give to them my stuff. Well, first, I already told you, I don't get anything from that, <laughs> um, so I'm not, but if you think that, like if you think the church in some way, maybe you got baggage and you're like, I, the church, I just feel uncomfortable with it. Don't let this church, don't let me, don't let Pastor Kyle, don't let anybody else prevent you from being generous. If you really feel that way, you're like, I can't trust these people, be generous somewhere else. Give somewhere else. Find a ministry that breaks your heart, find a, or an issue that breaks your heart, a ministry you're passionate about, give there. But I'm talking to those who do love this mission who are in for this community, who are thankful for this church. We own it together. Some of you need to take the first step of making God a priority in your giving. You need to choose a percentage and you need to put generosity in your budget. Just take a first step of faith. For some of you, you are already giving but this area of your discipleship has shifted into autopilot, right? You no longer feel it. So my question for you is, is it still a sacrifice? Are you still giving God your first and your best? Is your giving still an act of faith and trust? Or is it simply a line item in your budget that you don't even feel? Maybe you need to reevaluate and bring it before God again. For others of you, maybe your step this morning is to start tithing for the first time to declare that trust in God and say, okay, God, I'm gonna give you my first, I'm gonna give you my best, and I'm gonna trust you to provide. You said you're gonna provide, I'm gonna put your word to the test. But for others of you, maybe your step is not giving at all. And we need to make this abundantly clear. We do not give to gain God's favor. We give because we've already received God's favor in Christ. You see, Christianity is not a message of what can you give to God. The message of Christianity is receive what God has given to you. So for some of you, your first step is not giving. Your first step is receiving. You've never actually received the generous gift of God. John 3.16 says it so well. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal, eternal life. Jesus is a gift for you to receive today.
He's a gift to all of humanity, his life and his death on the cross, his resurrection. It's all a gift. So my question for you today is would you receive it? Would you receive it? Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks. We give you praise. We love you. God, uh, we talk about a, that's a difficult area of our discipleship. We, it's countercultural. God, we live in the most materialistic and consumeristic culture that ever walked the face of planet Earth. So when we hear Jesus' words, they often appear, feel to us hard. But God, would you soften our hearts? Would you convict? Would you lead? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.